Welcome back to How AI Built This, um, the podcast dedicated to data and entrepreneurial storytelling. Thanks as always to Cathcart Associates for sponsoring the show. Um, on today's episode, I'm speaking to Rich Wilson, CEO of a brand new startup called Gigged, um, which is a digital talent platform powered by artificial intelligence. Uh, Rich, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. No worries. Thanks for coming on. We always kind of kick the show off with a a brief background, um, normally starting around education or whatever people's kind of journey has been. Looking at your LinkedIn, kind of you did a, a business degree, right? Loosely, but yes. <laughs> uh, were you the same as me that when you finished school, you didn't really know what to do, and uni looked quite good, and a business degree looked quite relevant? Uh, not really, actually. So I was going to be. A rock star. I was an indie kid. Yes. So I played the bass in a band in Glasgow, and we were going to be. We came up about the same time as Arctic Monkeys, so we were going to be the new Arctic Monkeys. What was the so band called? We were called the Delix. Terrible name. Like it was a legal term that we created. It was awful, right? Awful. We we nearly got signed, and then we all ended up doing different things, and uh, yeah, it was good fun, but it was a mess. So I played the bass. My plan was to do that and we're going to be rock stars. My mum disagreed. So <laughs> the last day of clearing before university, so I was a rebel, right? So I'm like, I'm not going to uni. I'm not doing that. And then my mum marched me down to, my mum went to Bell College. So I'm from, I'm a Lanarkshire boy. So I grew up in Lanark. My mum went to Bell College in Hamilton. And my mum marched me down, made me apply for a degree. They let me in and then... Um, but I, the very first day I got in, I, I realised I'm like, being a rebel's not really cool because it was pretty grim. In fact, it was really grim. That's amazing. I love that. Um, rock, rock star turned university degree in business very quickly. And That's I got cool, thrown though. out. So it wasn't, you know, like most things in my life, it was, you know, so I never really, I wasn't committed to it. So got into business, no real idea why. And then I, I failed first year because I never went. And then... Um, they, they said, well, you can come back in. And then they were like, nah, you can't actually come back in. My mum again marched me down and had a meeting. My mum's a pretty strong woman. And um, <laughs> my mum had a meeting with the principal. And I'm there, but they're talking as if I'm not there. And uh, she came out of it and negotiated with them. That's maybe where I got my negotiation skills. And um, so I came out of it. I could go back into second year, but I had to do first year again. So I ended up doing first and second year. And at that point, I started realising... Being a rebel was not really getting me anywhere. So I um, got my head down and I, I finished, only done three years, and then um, got a degree. I came first to the class, so I ended up getting a distinction with business. And then um, and then after that, I went another totally different route um, again. So, but yeah, that was, I didn't have a normal university experience. Bell College was just go, you know, and then get out as quickly as possible. It wasn't, there was no freshers week, there was no bar. It was, it was grim. It was a means to an end. Um, it's quite weird, though, because I bet when you did that business degree fresh off being a rock star that you probably didn't think you were going to run a business at some point. Nah. Well, <laughs> to a point, I always kind of had it somewhere. Like, I worked for an entrepreneur during uh, during my second and third year. My dad was in the motor trade, and I ended up meeting a guy who created a software. It didn't end up been a huge success, but he was trying to create this um, CRM system for car companies. So I ended up working with him in Motherwell in this wee office, and I just done all the cold calling for him. So I called every car dealership in the UK trying to sell them this system. I never that's, sold one. That's class, though. 
But I learned, and he was like a guy called Colin McAllister. He's now a digital marketing guy in uh, Peter Vardy. Great guy, though, really inspiring entrepreneur at that stage. And I kind of, I really learned a lot from him in terms of his drive and his get up and go. And, you know, he brought me in. I was like 19. I used to just come in after uni or after college and just battle the phones. And uh, I said I was really bad at it, but he gave me that opportunity. And that kind of, I think that probably started to plant the seed a little bit. Yeah, no, probably. Um, big money in uh, car dealer CRMs now. Maybe he was just ahead of his time. Yeah, wasn't then. I, I, I think, I think he went for about three or four years. I think the big one was carriage. So that that was the one that he was trying to disrupt. So yeah, uh, yeah, he was probably ahead of his time. Good, good grounding in sales though. Just picking up the phone and phoning car dealerships, trying to sell them something. Yeah, like just absolutely. cold calling and it makes sense so i was going to jump into that so i think you did a couple of things before this so we can go through that if you want and um, but i know you also spent a long time in recruitment so that kind of calling businesses that don't want to speak to you must have been must have been used to it by then yeah so how it kind of worked for me so i obviously done a degree i've done various jobs but mainly what we're calling in terms of that uh the automotive crm also done like bar staff I was a valor. You name it, I've done it, right? I worked night shift in the supermarket. You know, everything. I only worked there because my mum could get a discount at Summerfield. So that was the only reason I had that job. So, and then when I was just finishing a degree, you know, a lot of my mates were kind of going, I said, I grew up in Lanarkshire. It's not the most salubrious. A lot of my friends were starting to go down a pretty interesting route. And I thought, time to go. So I actually had applied for a job in the Herald which was international sales, earn a hundred plus thousand pound a year. And I was like, cool, I'll do that. So um, I applied for it, um, still didn't know what it was. During my Easter holidays at college, I got a train, first class train ticket. I was like, what? Down to Park Lane and I interviewed and done all these psychometric tests. I got a letter saying, you've got, you've got the job, come to the next phase. Still have no idea what the job is. So I then go to this, uh, it's a one week, it's down in one of the racing towns down north of London, I forget its name. This fancy big hotel, great room. And again, at that stage, I'm 20 and I'm like, weird. So it turns out it's a company, American company, who have the contract to sell American cars on American airbases. So it was a big sales competition, really, right? So I thought it was all just the new guys, but actually it was a wholesale staff and it was a competition. So I went into it thinking, right, cool, I'm gonna have a job at the end of it, I'll give it my best. So over that week, it's all role plays, old school sales. And um, so at the end of it, I was like, I've came, they were like, you've came first. And I'm like, brilliant. And uh, they said, right, where do you wanna go? You can go anywhere in the world. And at that time, there was obviously, war was on in Iraq. So you could go to Iraq, you could go to Afghanistan. And I was like, well, that was, wasn't it really what I was thinking? Where's the most opportunity? And they said, the biggest airbase right now, this is 2006, five, six, the biggest airbase is there's a million Americans living in Ramstein Airbase in Germany. So I was like, right, cool, I'll go there. I went there, lived there for, what, 18 months? So I moved to Kaiserslautern on my 21st birthday and lived there and worked on Ramstein every day selling American cars to the military. Now, you're self-employed and actually sold a lot of cars. But then uh, what they don't tell you is about the tax bill So uh, and that you should keep some of the money. So I ended up, you know, I was 21. The World Cup was on in Germany, 2006. Kaiserslautern was a host city. 
and I was earning quite a lot of money. So you can imagine, it, you know, it was uh, it was a good time, but uh, I didn't save much money. So I'd done that for about eighteen months, and then it was it was a real good kind of grounding in sales, but there was no culture. You know, the whole point of everybody was just trying to neg you out. That's what they called it, right? Get in your head, get you in a bad place that you can't sell. And that was a culture. And I was like, this culture's not for me. So it was great because I grew up, the kind of rebel kind of went away a little bit. And um, it was a great experience. I love Germany. It's an amazing country. And um, I ended up getting a call about a job in Frankfurt for a religious group, which... Um, big $14 billion staffing company and um, I was like, like have you ever thought about recruitment I'm like, I don't even know what recruitment is so no I haven't I'm like we've got an office in Frankfurt and my girlfriend at the time from Edinburgh what she didn't know she'd got already accepted a job at Scottish Widows so she was like I'm moving back better move back so they said actually we've got an office in Edinburgh there's only a few people in it it's not doing particularly well but why don't you do that so I ended up driving my kind of old Hyundai back from uh, Germany. It broke down twice. Got the ferry back and then started 2007, I think it was, at a group as a trainee recruiter. And then that's kind of where I started. That's class. And just, I don't want to get bogged down in this, but why did loads of Americans want to buy American cars when they were living in Germany? Just buy a German I, car. So by law, <laughs> so a lot of them did buy German cars, but... There's all these amazing rules about the American military, right? It's amazing. It's a very interesting place to live because you are in America, right? You drive in and you're in America. You've got you only take dollars, Taco Bell for lunch, people playing baseball. It's crazy. It's like nothing you've ever seen. I don't think it's like that now, but that's when 2005 and six, like that was the main base. Like, um, like Air Force One used to fly in most days. It was amazing. But every soldier, by law, needs to be able to buy American products cheaper than they could at home. Everything. So that's why they've got all the car lots there. And um, so they can, so weird. They can buy a brand new American car there. Doesn't make any sense. But what you could do, and this is where most of the money was, is that when they got back to the States, they could have a new car waiting for them at a much cheaper cost. That was really the benefit. Yeah, that's just fucking mental. It was crazy. Uh, uh, and even just like having this little American town, but yeah, I suppose it makes sense when it's so big. And then so obviously you started in recruitment. Was it financial services stuff you did, aye? It was a bit of everything, to be honest. So my first real account dealing with was NHS, Greater Glasgow and Clyde. So um, that was the first account I remember. So initially, there was only a few of us, right? So Leaders Group is a massive big company. and But in Europe hardly anything right so out of 14 billion dollars at that point 13.9 would have been in north america so it was there was i said two or three people in the office it was two of the guys had been there a long time and yeah there wasn't much to talk of right it was anything any sort of contractor you name it we provided and it was mainly public sector i came in and i kind of found a bit of a kind of came in at a good time where culture wasn't great a lot of people were a bit jaded so I just came in and got stuck in as I always do and you know started you know started doing really well so I won European Recruiter of the Year my first year and then I thought maybe I can do this and then that's when I was given more and more opportunity to run teams we kind of created new business units we created financial services we then created big money service business um, which was really competing with more ser- uh, system integrators so we kind of really, it was a great journey for me, right? I was there for 12 years, so it was a, you know, the formative parts of my career. 
you know, I was a 22-year-old, I think, really was pretty rough about the edges, even after being in Germany, and was given so much support and coaching, and I think a lot of the fundamentals of business, I kind of learned, because I was, I, I got to talk, meet the founders, you know, that had started the company in a garage in the 80s, you know, I, I, I really got brought in, I really got development, I don't think I would have got anywhere else at that stage in my life, right, 22, I was, you know, I was getting put through lots of training, I was part of the leadership team for Europe, it's just, it was an amazing experience for me. Yeah, no, I think, um, and obviously this isn't a recruitment podcast, so we'll, we'll jump off this soon, but it, the industry probably gets quite a lot of bad, well, still does get a lot of bad press, but there's loads of stories like yours and um, similar to me and a few of the guys on our team, like you start quite young, you don't know a huge amount, you get exposed to quite a lot and you learn loads and probably more in a few years than you would anywhere else. Yeah, totally. And I, I noticed that. So I, I spent uh, three years at Gartner and I really thought going from predominantly being at a staffing company, as I said, I moved more into services, but you know, still a staffing company. And I thought from going to Gartner, this is going to be a big, big jump, right? I'm going to really be... I'm really not going to be. It's going to take me a bit of time to get up to speed, and it didn't, right? And and I I don't put that down to any sort of brilliance. I put that down to a lot of the experiences I, I learned, you know, in recruitment really gave even now, right? So, like the negotiation skills, managing people, managing expectations, creating business models, agreeing how that's going to look, how that's going to work making sure there's structure, but not too much structure. You know, so many things you learn, which I then realised oh, puts me in put me in great great stead from those Aye, there's, so There's loads sure. of transferable skills, yeah, especially kind of the size and scale you were working at. Um, and yeah, you mentioned Gartner, so we'll jump into that, but kind of what, what was the role there and kind of did the name itself attract you to it or did they approach you? No, so after, after I think 12, 13 years of a leaders group, yeah, you know, I was. I decided to take some time out. So I was. I was really burnt out, and I don't blame the industry or the company for this. It was really myself. I'd spent. Urgency was always one of my key. I would always run a hundred miles an hour. You know, in our in our, our office, I had relentless. You know, spray painted in the walls. You know, everything was a hundred miles an hour. I everybody hired was the same, but I got to the point where, you know, I'm not twenty one anymore. Right, I'm now thirty. 132 at the time I think my daughter was three or four maybe three and I'm never at home and um you know I'm all all over the place and I was and then it kind of caught up with me the, the kind of physical and mental aspects of stress caught up with me and I thought you know what now's the time to kind of take a step back you know I, I, I was as far as I was concerned I was going to stay there forever right because the way it works I'm just going to stay there. Right? I'm going to continue. I was very close to you know, moving into some even more senior roles. But then it was a case of, my, I kind of had stepped back and gone, the big thing I always wanted to do was have a legacy, right? Have people that I had helped develop and train that could then go on and take it. And when I stepped back, the team was there, right? We had an amazing team. They're still doing amazing. And I thought, right, now's the time to take a step back and to kind of take stock of where I want to go, right? Even... Even at 32, I think, it was kind of like plenty of life still in. But at that point, I didn't really know where I wanted to go. But I knew I was never going to go into another recruitment company. I knew that wasn't where I was going to go. So I just took some time out. So I um, I, I left 
I'm very amicable. You know, it was a, like, if you ever want to come back, the door's open. And I appreciated that at the time. I just was like, I need to just go and figure it out. So I'd done a few things. I started driving my daughter to school, which I hadn't done ever. I started MMA. So I started um, a programme, the Warrior programme, it was called, at the Grip House in Glasgow. So started learning MMA, which kind of culminated in doing an MMA fight. It's pretty beginner stuff, but it was amazing for me just to kind of get my health back because my body was, I was pretty wrecked. Just planes, stress, you know, I was i was in a pretty bad place. And um, so I decided to to do that. Um, and I just Did, did you win? I didn't win. I didn't. Aww. Nah, I didn't. I, uh, Derek, who I was fighting, and I, I hopefully he listens to this at some point, he was a lot heavier than me. Right, so you know, I I had a, a valiant effort, but he had a good he had a good three or four kilos on me because there's no weight class. So um, I was not really. Uh, we need to talk maybe talk about this off here, so I don't mean to rabbit hole. I didn't know that. So I, and, uh, I'm a massive MMA fan, so when we catch yeah, up a bit too. later, oh, me too. Um, That's cool though. So I took some time, and then I thought, right, what am I going to do next? I had um, a few people I knew at Gartner had reached out to me and said, look, you fancy coming in and. Join. And at that point, I knew Gartner, I knew advisory. I kind of fancied getting that, adding that string to my bow. Because at that point, I had the idea for Gigged, but I had no motivation to do it, right? I was totally, I was totally burnt out, like, beyond. So I had, I, I had the idea, I had a bit of the premise for it, but I'm like, nah, I just had no motivation to do it. So um, I was offered a job at Gartner, um, and I said, nah, it's not really for me. Then they come back. They're like, look, you can work from home. You can have autonomy. And this is before COVID, right? It's when when that was pretty rare to be offered those things. So like, like, you work from home, create an office at home, travel to your clients as you need to, but we'll give you autonomy. And they really, really wanted me to join. So I was like, cool. I also, at that point, was offered some other opportunities. So I joined This Is Me Scotland, which is a mental health initiative, like workplace mental health, after kind of really going through everything I did, I kind of felt I had to give back and share some of my story and, you know, kind of share with people what I should have done differently and um, some of the things that, you know, some of the mental health things like meditation and everything else that are now a huge part of my life, but back then was anything but. So done that, I was then offered to join the Data Lab board, which I've been on for the last two and a bit years, which has been a great, great experience um, in terms of, you know, helping them with the master's programme, the PhD programme and those kind of things. So that's been awesome. And then back to Gartner, they came back and said, look, we'd like you to come in. We're going to let you do your other things and you come. So um, so I, I probably only took a month or two out. It wasn't a long time. I was planning on taking a year out, but it wasn't a long time. And then I came in and, and joined Gartner. And that was a you know, that was an awesome experience. It was really a good move at the time you know I bet and I, I also you said you took a year out but just even from talking to you today like there's no way that was going to happen like a month probably felt like a year at some points it did it did feel like <laughs> I got to the point where I was dropping my daughter off at school I was going training and then I was kind of like walking around Strathclyde Park trying to kill time going what am I going to do what am I going to do and then my wife was like who are you kidding she's like I'm sick of sight of you back go, go get back to something and uh that was kind of how I decided to go because Gartner again were very supportive of the you, me not just going because I, I was very open with them and that's kind of why I chose Gartner. I was very open with them that like I'm still recovering from some kind of burnout and breakdown issues, right? I had I had been in a pretty bad place, and um, they were very you know when I told them that they were very open. They're like, no, nah, 
we understand that and we'll you know we'll take that into account and they did and I, I, I'm very thankful for that that's class a bit of a whistle stop we're kind of caught up I'm sure there's lots more we'll get into so you mentioned about having the idea for gigged back when you started with Gartner I know from speaking to you before that it kind of bubbled in the background for a while even recently but kind of officially speaking it's, it's a two-month-old company right like you've you've been running for a few weeks um kind of out in the public for anyone that doesn't hasn't seen the kind of uh, kind of press and the market in and all that kind of stuff um tell us a bit about gigged and i suppose what the initial idea was and how that first kind of few weeks has been yeah so the initial idea wasn't actually that different from where we've landed. We were laughing about that the other day, right? We created a you know, we created a plan about eighteen months ago and we've really been able to deliver on that plan in terms of we're not really even to the little minutiae detail, we're really, really in line to the plan that we set out. The initial plan, so we started probably twenty nineteen I started playing about with the idea but of how do we make initially I was like let's make a micro work platform right a way break down work into tiny little segments and then for clients and various talent to then do those packages and then I realized that Jeff Bezos had already had that idea and it's called mTurk and that's already that's already out there and I started digging into it so we built Initially, we had an idea called Talent Exchanger. It's a terrible name. I'm glad we never went with it. But we created it, and it was really, how do we use AI to help people find in-demand talent? But I still had this micro-work thing in my head, but I didn't really know how it was going to work. We started it, and then we kind of never really done a ton with it. Then COVID hit, and I was talking to, as part of the Data Lab board, I met John Brody, who's obviously going to be on the, the podcast as well. So I met John, and he was a chair, and... Me and him just kind of had a connection quite instantly with similar commercial ideas and me and him just kind of got on. And at that point, because I had had been at Allegis Group for so long and all my mentors were there, so I didn't really have any mentors anymore, right? I don't have any big brothers. None of my friends are really in business. You know, my best mates are... Uh, uh, as a soldier, so, you know, brilliant at what he does, but, you know, in relation to what I do, he thinks it's rocket science, right? So, I said to John, just no chance, I said, look, I need a mentor. I need somebody who can just give me some advice. Not even about building a business at that point. It's like, and he's like, yeah, sure. So, we got talking, and I said, look, I'm going to start a business. My plan was always to do a couple of years at Gartner. I was always very open with that. And then I wanted to go and start a business. At that point, it was either go and start a consultancy, which had a lot of experience with a leadership group at the, in the, you know, taking it from staffing to proper managed service. I thought maybe I go and start a consultancy, or maybe I um, I take this platform idea that I've had. And he was like, you can start a consultancy any day of the week. A platform, probably not. Go with that, and that's where it started. So. Myself and my co-founder, Craig. So Craig's a great guy, friends of friends. So every wedding I've been at, he's there, kind of knows knows my friend. But we, we And I knew he was an IT contractor because he'd worked in one of the MSPs we had at Lloyd's. So I knew he was a contractor. My brother kept saying to me, my brother's a weird matchmaker. So my brother introduced me to my wife and now he's introduced me to my co-founder. And he said, you should really speak to Craig. 
And I was like, yeah, right, very good. So after me moaning for a while, I'm like, I really want to get this idea off the ground, but I need some technical help. He's like, speak to Craig. So I spoke to Craig, and this is about March 220, so COVID's going to really hit him. And I, sh- I shared with him the picture, hey, here's what I kind of want to do, here's where we're going to go. And he's like, I've built some- I'm building something just now quite similar. And it was called Hourlies, which was, a, again, a talent platform to let people do hourly work. And I said, there's issues with that, but I like what you've built. So after going back and forth for a week or two, we're like, look, will we just do this? And we're like, right, cool. COVID was obviously hit. We weren't travelling anywhere. We had loads of extra time at evenings and weekends. So we're like, look, let's play about with this and see where we go. Uh, and that's really where it started. So it started as Talent Exchanger. And we built a prototype. And we were applying for grants, uh, mainly Scottish Enterprise grants. And we got knocked back. Probably rightly so. Because it was it was a back of a fire packet. And then we got a cease and desist letter through. Um, from one of the big four I won't say who they've like oh we've got a similar platform you can't do this and we're like we've not even started anything and we're getting a cease and desist we're probably onto something let's keep going and John was like keep going so we did and um, we pitched the prototype to Innovate UK didn't get it and then the sustainable innovation grant came up in maybe July 2020 and we applied for that and then we, the Data Lab have got a free uh, funding service, plug for the Data Lab, and Adam. And um, they, it's free for any company that's applying for grants. So they reviewed our grant letter and said, well, it's pretty shit, but here's how you make it better. That wasn't his words. And um, so we made it better. And at that point, we were building the plan anyway. So we started building the business plan, the deck. And that's really where the premise came in and said, look, people kept saying, but what's your USP? And we've been had hundreds of knockbacks, right, in terms of different forms. Everybody's knocked this back on. Don't get it. Or it's too ambitious. That's usually what we get. So we had the premise of how do we use AI to really conversational AI to package a piece of work, right? So instead of it being some copy and paste job or a statement of work or a work package, how do we really focus on the quality of that? And then how do we create algorithms that will then match to various talent pools, like in real time? And that's where the, that's where like, right, let's go with that. So at that point, if we, if we go back and say it, we've got cease and desist. So at that point, we go, we're going to need to change name. At that point, I'm reading a book called Gigged because I'm really interested in the gig economy. And we're also, so we tried to buy gig.com, but we couldn't buy it. It was like 50 grand. We've not got 50 grand. But you could buy gig AI, and obviously at this point we were just building the AI element. So we're like, let's call it gig AI. So we're like, cool. That's what we're going to call the product. Our first product is going to be called gig AI, as you know, part of Gig Limited, which is a holding company. Innovate UK grant goes off, and then about two months later we get an email saying you got it, and we're like, shit. What like like because when you do these things you don't expect. So they said we're going to give you the money. We're like, fuck, what do we do now? We thought, well, we've got evenings and weekends. Yeah, we can bring some people in. We can do this. We we um we started the project. We got a consultancy in called Deeper Insights, which are an amazing AI company. Um again, the, their CEO Jack is definitely worth a conversation. So um an amazing AI entrepreneur. So we built a great relationship with them and we said, look. This is what we want to build. And he got it. They got it straight away. 
and they were like, here's the ideas of how we're going to do the job classifications. We talked to about 20 AI companies, but they were just like on it. So the plan was they would build it, we'd keep the IP, and it would then plug into our um, overall platform. So we done that, we delivered the project four months, and then at that point, that's how it's got I kind of beat a version MVP. Yeah. No, it's pretty cool. And I'm glad you mentioned the AI company as well, because it was something we spoke about. And you just said that they're amazing. So they do that part and you guys do the other part. And I think some companies probably get too caught up in like having everything in-house all the time. Like it doesn't need to be like that, right? Nah, it was big for us. So initially we were going to do it in-house. And then Craig's awesome at supplier selection. He's unbelievable at it. And I'd came up with some suppliers and I was really sold on one of them. And he was like, no, nah, we're going to go with these guys. And I was like, they were still pretty early on now. They're, now they're really doing well. They've just been VC back. They've done some huge contracts. But at that point, they didn't, right? COVID did obviously was pretty hit. They were struggling. And I thought, right, cool. And we started the sprints. And for sprint one, they were just on it. Most of their staff was in Portugal. But they were just amazing. And they were getting it. And they got the vision of what we were trying to do. And that's why we chose them. And they are now our partner, right? We use them for updates. You know, as I said, we own the IP. It's um, everything is what we do. But they're, you know, instead of our big thing as a company is don't need to buy everything, right? We're a gig company. So our lead developer is a freelancer. Our CFO, same thing, right? Um, We don't always need to have just permanent staff just for the sake of permanent staff. For us to get an AI or the AI skills, the data science skills, we just wouldn't have the money for that. For what it cost us to do the project, it was way cheaper than bringing in, I shouldn't tell Jack that, but it was way cheaper than bringing in the permanent staff that we just couldn't have afforded well, anyway. Aye, it's cheaper than you bringing in a team of four or five, six people, getting them trained up, having one senior or whatever else, and you've now, but now you can rely on a really experienced team and you don't have to worry about it. Like that's kind of the whole point, right? You can just leave them leave them to it, basically. Yeah, yeah. they've done four sprints, right? So they've done four sprints over the course of four months. And obviously they were working on other projects. We weren't their only project. But four sprints, and that delivered everything we needed at the time. Yeah, well, exactly. It tells its own story. You and Craig were both doing this, even on weekends, like you said. How was it transitioning from it being your kind of side gig or something that happened in the background to your full-time job to it becoming this is what's paying my mortgage like this is what's how was that so it was a leap of faith but it it was kind of weird so we kind of had the beta version out there and we started seeing traction now obviously at that point we weren't like there was no revenue coming through or anything um but we started having lots of signups you know we got to the stage Pretty much just after that, we thought, right, we're going to need to commit, right, or or, or or not. And we had the meeting, me and Craig, and we kind of just looked at each other and I went, look, we're going to do this. Now, we haven't, to this point yet, taken a salary, so we take massive personal risks, right, to do it. Uh, you know, I quit a really well-paying, comfortable job, as did Craig, to do this. But we knew, we got to the point where, like, you can't do both. We don't want to do both. And we thought, you know what? How often do you get the opportunity to, to go and do this? So we thought, you know, it's still risky, right? My, my wife might disagree, but it's it's risky, right? We've got no income just now, right? We're taking, we're, we're risking everything, right? We're risking 
mortgages we're risking, but we believe in what we're doing, so we're rolling the dice. And actually, when we just decided to do it, yeah, it's a massive risk, but you know, what we thought, A, would we kick ourselves if we didn't try? Yes. Did we feel we, were, we had something that we're passionate about? Yes, this is what we're passionate about, right? We really enjoyed the process of building this. It's been brilliant. And I've loved every minute of it. I've learned so many new skills. Probably learned more in the last year than I have in the last 10. You know, it's I've had to learn about, you know, product, product builds. Things that I knew about, you know, things like as being in recruitment, you learn the theory of everything, but you've never actually done it. You, you've never been a product owner. You've never um, had to create a go-to-market strategy. I've never had to sit in front of VCs. I've never had to, you know, create a full financial projection for the next five years. I've never had to work with the lawyers and create MSAs for a platform. You know, all these things I've never done. We just got to the point and we went, you know what? Let's do it. I take risks, but I like to take calculated risks. This probably wasn't a calculated risk. It was a bit of a, let's just do it. But we felt so comfortable, you know, that we were both taking the risk. We are both doing it at the same time. So we pretty much finished up on the same day. And then we were in. And, um... You know, we lined up a lot of hires during the Innovate UK. We were brought in some some people that have now gone perm and they were awesome. So yeah, it just got to the point, it just felt right. It just felt like now's the time to do it. Because it was just like, it wasn't, we probably had the, we would have liked it to become that. But I think it was just, it probably kept us both sane during lockdown, right? Because we had something else to focus on. And, you know, we're doing our day jobs. We're both doing really well at our day jobs. And, um, but it was just a side project and it was just a bit of fun and it was really something that we were just passionate about trying to build and then the more we got into it and the more we started pitching it to people and we started kind of doing some user testing and we started, we're like, nah, we're kind of, there's definitely something here. So that's when we decided to just, let's jump in and let's do it. Then, you know, we'll take, we'll take the, take the rough with the smooth. Yeah, no, that's that, honestly, I, I love this about, this show and it's one of the things that's come from it the most is like you speak to people like you and a few others we've had on and like it's kind of like a works and all look into what it's like starting your own business and so many people like glamorize it on linkedin and there's all the kind of bullshit but like yeah you're, you're not taking a salary and you're having a massive risk but you properly believe in it so like it's class and hopefully if folk listening to it have their own ideas then they can they can take a bit of inspiration from it because it's really it's really cool to see and just so people get it as well so um from the conversation you and i had gigged is very much a kind of it's a talent matching platform but aimed at short sharp pieces of work like because typically people might not know how it all works but typically recruitment companies and, and consultancies deal with kind of three month plus contracts and permanent roles that's kind of where most people make their money doing the job that that you used to do and the job that i do but there's a kind of weird gap where some people just need people for a week or and it can be any range of skills that, that's kind of your your sweet spot isn't it yes the way we look at it is we're a, a work package project tool right the way we look at it is we um yeah so it's that's it's that kind of market in between right we're not doing six month 12 month contract day rates hourly rates that's not what we do it's a project tool for to be able to harness the gig economy right so it could be so our, our most popular just now is seo right so 
SEO work packages from a grand to three grand come in and create our SEO strategy or do some SEO work. Or, you know, we've got clients, you've got a FTSE 100 client that's asked, that just completed a gig to do a cyber security review. And then on the other side of that, we've got an ice cream company who have put on a website design, right? So the beautiful thing about that is we're going at various, uh, you, you know, it's like being in recruitment, it's hard to engage lots of different clients you're either going after enterprises and financial services or you go after, it's hard to really go after a very different um, client base. So, I would say we've always done like SMEs and a few big companies, but we've never been hugely successful at like public sector, for example. It's not our bag. So yeah, it's hard to be good at all of it. Yeah, so we've been able to touch on a bit of everything, right? Clients that don't need to do any business development, they come to the platform, they don't need to talk to anybody. They can do it all. The AI will help them qualify that work package. It'll help. It it's uses machine learning. So if they say something, it will respond to that. It'll help. Even if you get no IT knowledge, it'll help you decide what the skills are. And then our algorithms will then match you to our talent community. And our talent community is, it could be contractors in between contracts. It could be proper freelancers that are doing five to 10 gigs a month. It could be the side gigger who's got a permanent job but does um, projects and or got a consultancy on the side. What I've realised is there's a massive, massive amount of people that do that. You just don't realise there's so many of them. And then you've got people returning to work, right? You know, a lot of people, like we've got people on our platform who are, you know, got four kids struggling to do, uh, be flexible, but they can earn more money on a platform such as ours or some of the other big platforms that are working Fiverr can actually make a living that way. Um, so it taps into different talent pools. So so yeah, it's short, sharp pieces of project work. Could be UX design. You know, if you've got a gap for UX design, you've got uh, some copy that needs needs done. It's it's not for long, massive pieces of projects, but it's for small, short, sharp uh, projects. Yeah, no, it totally makes sense. And and for kind of how I see the market, there's definitely a big gap for it. So, um, and like you said, it's it's properly started with a bang, and, and people have bought into it. And and since the go live, it's been it's been super busy. And what about is it weird for you having recruited many many hundreds of people um, in your time in recruitment and probably after as well? But was there any kind of weird trepidation or doubt when it came to right? We need a permanent or a few permanent employees. Like, was that weird? No, nah, not really. It kinda luckily obviously we've been able to do most recruiting ourselves, right? So we're saving money on that. But um nah, it was I think it's I suppose it's something I've given a lot of thought to and a lot of plan to. And um so when it came to when it came to it, nah, it wasn't that weird. It's very, very different, right? Because we're you know there's some platforms that really build they're really a recruitment company with a fancy front end. We're the opposite, right? Everything that we do is you, you don't need to talk to anybody. The platform will walk you through. and we That's why we spent so much time on product development. And that's why we're also hugely thankful to Innovate UK. Like we would not be, if Innovate UK hadn't bought into this early on, there is no way we would have been where we are. Like they gave us well over a hundred thousand pound grant to build this. You know, they, they've really, you know, at that point, every grant they gave was for electric cars, electric this, you know, so to take a risk on a platform like ours is a big risk for them, but it's um, so we owe them a lot. So I think because we'd already planned it all out, I don't think it wasn't too weird, no. That's I mean, that's good, um, and I suppose because 
you had a plan in place and, uh, and the business was ready like it wasn't like you just jumped in and were like right like you said about the data scientist you didn't just hire 10 folk to try and get the product going like it was it was a lot more measured we've taken um, a different approach i think liam to hiring so a being a gig company right or like we can you kind of need to practice what you preach right you can't then just go and hire loads of permanent people and totally discount being able to that gig market right would be would be crazy if we'd done that so what we decided to do was lots of the talent that we've hired have been left field right they've been left field we've our, we've got a our product owner three years ago was an air hostess at emirates was made redundant during covid done a degree um, in ux design came in with us just as a junior ux designer and it's now our product owner smashing it. Our one of our growth managers is eighteen. Had done a two year recruitment apprenticeship, and uh, like like how many like he's eighteen. He's currently he interviewed Matt Matola, who one of the main writers and uh, speakers in the gig economy. He interviewed John Younger, who's one of the Forbes writers. Like he's eighteen, and um, so big part of our of our culture has been let's give. If you're good enough, you're old enough, let's give talent a chance, even if they're from different places, and then we'll supplement it with gig workers. So our lead developer, as I said, based in Denmark, he's awesome. He's called Joel. We couldn't be there without him. He mentors our more junior guys that we've brought in from Code Clan and various other places. He mentors them. So we're very much to the view, let's bring in, you know, and, and again, some of these guys are well in their 30s, but they're retraining in different skills. So let's take the chance and then supplement it with freelance. Like all our copyright and UX is, is done by Scottish-based freelancers we know really well. And they come in, do the work, and then move on. So um, it's loads of lessons to be learned for loads of people because like the recruitment market is it's genuinely never been busier. And folk are all just like scrapping for these mid to senior folk. And there's loads of people, like software engineers, like you just mentioned, CoClan, there's loads of really talented, retrained people who could do a really good job with a bit of help, but they're too busy scrapping for folk that have already been there and done that. So yeah, it's class that you've got folk like that in, in your business. It's really cool to see. And it's helped us build that culture. So, you know, we're a couple of months in, like you said, but, you know, we've really got, you know, we've built our values, we've got... But we built them on actions that we were doing and then we kind of just wrote them down. It wasn't a case of just putting them in. And when we were interviewing lots of different people, we were like, nah, this culture that we've got of building and hiring people based on attitude and based on their goals and their motivations and not just their skill is really the way we're going to go. I mean, that's the way we've that's the way we've done it. We've got some guys coming in from Kickstart that we're really excited about. You know, we've got some other people that are retraining, like our one of our software developers we've just hired was a recruiter for 10 plus years in Dubai and decided that he wanted to retrain as a software developer and um, and and luckily the way it worked you know with his background and he's been able to take that experience and now he's went through various um, certifications as a software developer and he's he's brilliant he's only got about a year software experience but what's the matter yeah, and, he's, and there's also loads more to it with other transferable skills that we just talked about before. I suppose last two points, anything that you've kind of learned over the last, I mean, it's been longer than two months, obviously, kind of last year or so that 
if you were speaking to another founder and they were asking for a kind of what what would you what any top tips or anything that you wish you'd known is there anything that's really stuck out or is it really just getting on with there's honestly loads of things i think one of the biggest things that have helped us is the power of mentors right of so everybody in this company we assign a mentor from external now there's people in my network that i know they do it for free but if i hadn't asked john to be a mentor and been very open with him about my shortcomings and where i wanted to get better and everybody so like our software developer he's got joel as a mentor our product owner has um, one of the vps of product at woodmac is her mentor um Craig has the CTO at another fast-paced startup there about four years ahead of us as his mentor. So everybody's got, got a mentor who's been there, done it. And I think being able to harness that, the startup community, what I found is really open. There's some amazing people out there that will give you their time and that will give you advice. And I think harnessing that would be would, would be really, really important, right, in terms of just asking. I've asked some you know, Nick Jones at Zumo has been an amazing mentor to me. I've He's gave me time, you know, he's reviewed investor decks. He's told me that's rubbish, that's good. For no reason, just has helped me. Um, and there's been loads of people like that. And I think just not being scared to reach out and ask for a call because it's been, and now I'm trying to pay that forward a bit with people that are a bit, maybe just got an idea and they're like, well, what, what how did you do that? So I think the mentorship and, and then... I think you mentioned the point, Liam, about the the kind of sexy success stories, you know, the, the kind of Instagram version, right? I think creating a plan. So for me, there was the, some of the key elements for me was actually cutting down all my outgoings, right? And really, out, really like sitting down with my wife and cutting, like, what can we cut? Because we're not going to have any income for the next six to 12 months. So... Buying like own brand ketchup and stuff like that. All that kind of good stuff, right? We were, we were, we were, you know, <laughs> we had a very, you know, decent life, right? Not that we've got a bad life now, but we've just, you know, you got to, there, there are decisions you're going to need to make that will have consequences. Just actually, those things are real, right? And not, I was scared to ask some of the stupid questions initially, but yeah, but when do you get paid? And well, how do you do that? And, you know, so how does that work about, you know, because the idea that you're going to start a company and within three years you're going to be a millionaire, and it doesn't work like that. Right? And I think once you get into it, you realise how, and there's a few examples, but once you get into it, you've really got to have the purpose and the why, right? Why am I doing this? Because it will test you. And if you don't have that, that why up front, and I know you only asked for two, but the three would, the third one, <laughs> I think, and this is something I've got very passionate about, is, is just the mental health aspect of it, right? Making sure that, you know, I, I, I always just run run 100 miles an hour, I take full responsibility for everything, not very good at delegating, and we'll just work, 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 work. And now I kind of realised that that will only make this company a failure. It will only spin me out again. So it's been able to, right at the start of the journey, go, right, what are the levers and key things that I need to do to be able to keep good mental health as you possibly can throughout something which is hugely stressful? Because it's, you know, I've, you know, having to make decisions on funding, which are going to be like, right, can we hire that person? Can I take a salary? Can I bring that person on? Do we need to make that person redundant? Can we make that change we need to make in the product? Um, can we pay that invoice we've got hanging over? <laughs> There's so many things. But I think if you've got the why 
and then you've got the awareness around the mental health and then good people around you that can help you it's, it's so important because it, it's like it's like nothing else I've ever experienced I love it that was uh, there's so many things in there James uh, who edits the show for us has to pick a clip to turn it into like a little video snippet I don't envy him for this episode maybe I have to do a few sorry I uh, talk a lot no, just no. There's loads of little snippets where you're like, "Oh, that would be a good one." Oh no, that one's also quite good. And last question then: What, given that we're only a couple of months in, and I always say this on the show, and I, and I genuinely mean it for gigged, but uh, we'll have to get you back on um, to to see how it's all panned out. But where do you kind of see it? Like, what's the? We don't have to go into incremental. Where do you see yourself in five years? But like, what's the plan? Yeah. So the plan plan first of all was to get a product to market that we could be dangerous enough, right? That we could actually start to use. And I think a lot of people forget about having a product and they just get an idea and they think they're going to get funded on that. In Scotland, nobody's going to fund just an idea. They might in Silicon Valley, but they ain't going to do that here. Especially from a boy from Lanark who used to sell cars in Germany. So I think for us, it was initially all about the product. And and now it's about ensuring that we... we, we sort, so we've, we've luckily just just about to finalise a pretty significant VC funding round. So it's great that we've had some amazing people that have really believed in what we're doing and they're going to invest cold, hard cash into the company. So for us now, it's about building an amazing team which are you know focused on providing that, you know, helping to kind of disrupt that market, right? Helping the talent a, earn more money but work in more flexible ways and then give our clients another way to get the projects done. So for us, continuing to iterate the project, uh, the product, and then just like seeing where this can go, right? There's a couple of um, platforms in the UK that are doing okay, but for us, can we be the number one talent platform in the UK in the next 12 months? That's a goal. Let's do it. And um, we're going to give everything we can to do it. But again, it starts with the team, right? Let's build a culture and a team that we all really want to be a part of. And then the product, product fit, all that other kind of good stuff you read in all the books, that'll come. But let's let's kind of, let's really build a team that believe in what we're doing and let's go and have some fun and do it. That's amazing. Um, and hopefully instead of getting a cease and desist from the top, the big four, they'll just come and buy you instead. Well, maybe, yeah, or, maybe, or, maybe, or, maybe you, or maybe you'll buy them. Well, well, I think we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll prefer one of them to buy us. But actually, one, one of them has reached out already about talking about could they buy part of the... The, you know the, the the AI that we built already, and that was amazing. Now we're not doing that because stick a big blank check in front of them. Yeah, for us, it's not about that just now. Right, it's about let's really build because this business model's not out there yet. Right, it's not like there's loads of companies using it. When we explain it to companies and they try it, they're like, "All right, that makes sense. That's really valuable." But you've just you know we need a lot of marketing spend to get that to enough people to actually go and do it. So. It's really just embracing that journey for us and just going for it. I think you nailed it a couple of minutes ago when you said just go out and have some fun with it. And like that that's how it will be successful, I would imagine, because you can see the value and obviously you and you and Craig are super passionate about it. So no, it'll be class to, to see where it goes and, and we'll definitely um kinda we'll do another chat in maybe a year's time or so and just see I where it's it. at. It'll be it'll be class. But thank you so much for the time. I really do appreciate it. No, no problem. I appreciate it.